0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking hedge funds and commodities. The 2000s saw a plethora of very successful hedge funds dedicated to the space and a great amount of interest from institutional investors. However, post the global financial crisis, Results declined, institutional investors exited the space, and it's been a rocky ride. With the coming commodity supercycle now, there's renewed interest again. Results are starting to tick up from the few surviving hedge funds that are still around. However, will the structural issues that led to a decline in performance in the 2010s continue to crimp earnings, or are we about to see a new golden age of hedge funds and commodities? And if so, where's the talent going to come from? Joining us to discuss is Ryan Duncan. Ryan is a managing partner at Bridge Alternatives, which is an independent introducing broker and FINRA regulated broker dealer. Ryan's been in and around hedge funds in the commodity space since 2002, and also manages the independent commodity hedge fund index. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're gonna, I guess, do a little bit of a historical walk through the performance and the, the hedge funds in the commodity space over the last two decades. Teeing us up to discuss, obviously, what we expect now with growing interest from investors in the sector, uh, what we think the future might hold. Can you just give us a really quick overview of some highlights of commodity hedge funds over the last two decades? I know you've got some numbers.
1: Sure. So I would say broadly speaking, if you want to look at a few date ranges. so let's say you know beginning of two thousand through the global financial crisis, the global financial crisis through uh, the end of 2019, and then maybe define our current period of 2020 and beyond, you know I think you saw extremely solid performance from 2000 through the first quarter of 2008. So if you look at the SOC Gen Commodity Trading Index, you know there's an average annualized return from that period of just over 23 percent, with a vol of just under 12 percent. Following that period, second quarter of 2008 through the end of 2019, you know, I think it's a, an environment that really lacked a narrative in the commodity space and really lacked a, a broad opportunity set. Uh, hedge funds returned just under 1% with Evolve about 4.5%. And then in the beginning of 2020, if you look at our commodity index, the Bridge Alternatives Commodity Hedge Fund Index, which launched in 2014 you know, that has an average annualized return just under 18% with a vol of 6.85%, right? So I think you have, you know, three distinct periods, one leading up to the global financial crisis, one from the, the GFC through 2020 or through 2019, and then kind of 2020 COVID era, and we'll see where this goes. I mean, that's quite stark, isn't it? Because it also almost
0: perfectly overlaps the last commodity super cycle peak and the, the trough and then what we expect going forwards. And it's also a little bit hard to, I guess, tease apart some of the regulatory impacts and broader investing impacts of the, the, the global financial crisis itself. So I think we'll put a pin in that and come back to it. But that is a very stark contrast in performance between the 2000s and the 2010s. Before we sort of dig into some of the famous funds of that, of the 2000s, and try and understand a bit more about if there was any sort of trends around who was successful and who wasn't, which will you know, be informative for the, the latter half of the conversation. Can you just help us understand, get us all on the same page with the common language? What's the terminology around hedge funds? How do hedge funds compare themselves with others? You know, what are the definers?
1: Yeah, so I think there's probably three different things to look at there. you you know, if you, If you take the you know, average analyzed rate of return and then the, the volatility of those returns. And then the sharp ratio, which would be the the return divided by the, the vol, are probably the three metrics that investors look at the most. I think as it relates to the commodity space, I may add a fourth metric, and that being one of drawdowns. So, you know, I think the commodity space has largely been defined by or hedge funds with you know, outsized returns and more volatility than uh, hedge funds in, in other asset classes. Broadly speaking, I think in hedge fund space, funds that are able to generate a sharp ratio of one or greater over a long period of time are generally considered to be in the kind of upper echelon of of hedge fund performance.
0: Yeah. And just to dig into that, that drawdown comment... Part of the underlying theme here is that commodities trade quite differently to other asset classes and are particularly defined by their volatility. And so all of these hedge funds have in general a higher volatility than than other asset classes and that drawdown requirement becomes quite a pertinent descriptor when Organizations where investors are looking at funds, but also individuals and traders and so forth are thinking about whether they
1: might fit in that fund. Sure. So, say, you know, in aggregate, I would say the space exhibits higher vol than other hedge fund strategies. Now, that being said, there will be some hedge funds within the commodity space that target a lower volatility, and you have some hedge funds that target a, a higher volatility. I would say over the post GFC period, You did see a number of commodity hedge fund closures. You did see some fairly sizable drawdowns that are really hard for institutional investors to stomach.
0: The other piece of terminology is also assets under management, AUM.
1: Can you just give us some idea of
0: how commodities as a class sits against other asset classes in terms of assets under management?
1: Sure. So I think by and large relative to You know, let's all you know, long short equity funds, managed futures funds, credit funds, like the capacity in these strategies is quite low. So, you know, I think if you're managing a diversified portfolio of commodity markets, you know, your capacity is probably north of a billion. You know, if you're looking to trade just a specific sector you're probably looking at a billion dollars or less of capacity. So something, you know, we see managers in the ag space, their capacity is probably around three, four, 500 million. You know, if you're trading energies and crude and related products, I would say, broadly speaking, you're looking at a capacity around a billion, give or take.
0: Let's go back to the, the 2000s. You said at the top there that it was 23% annualized returns. Who were some of the major funds around in that period, because there were some quite prominent successes, but also some very stark losses as
1: well. I started my career in the market at, kind of in, in the future space and in, around the commodity space around 2002, right? So groups like Centaurus with John Arnold, Clive Capital with Chris Levitt, Armajaro with Anthony Ward, Ian McIntosh at Louis Dreyfus, Andy Hall at Astenbeck. I mean, these were large commodity hedge funds that had real institutional assets, and, you know, really grew to real investment management firms. Now, obviously, you had other managers with, you know, lower AUM, but I think there was probably, I'll call it a dozen to a dozen and a half groups that really commanded and raised, you know, a majority of the assets in the space. What was sort of the common threads amongst those groups?
0: And also, were any of them at that point digging into the physical aspect of commodities, or was these all purely financial trading plays?
1: Yeah, most of them were purely financial, but I would say, you know, I think a lot of the PMs at those firms had a deep knowledge and network in the physical market. So either they had come out of places like Enron or they'd come out of some trading house where there was a real understanding of the physical markets, a real understanding of who the market participants were, And I think, you know, through that, they really had an informational edge over kind of pure speculators or pure financial derivatives traders who were just trading off of price, right? You know, these guys knew where the physical was, they knew if there were going to be any disruptions in the supply chain and could express those views in the futures markets.
0: A lot of these PMs had had come from the physical commodities world. What else was going on that kind of, I guess, was common to all of those those major funds back in the day?
1: Well, I think in that bull cycle, there was really outsized returns relative to other strategies in the hedge fund space. And so I think you had institutional investors starting to make trips down to Houston to see all the, the gas and power groups. Uh, you know head out to London to see you know some of the prominent hedge funds out there you know you did see great performance and a real growth in assets i would say you know i think this is maybe more anecdotally paul but some of those groups probably took in more assets than they could effectively manage in the market so i think you know as they take those assets in they're able to deploy that risk but you know if you do have some type of supply disruption, or weather event, or whatever that causes a real market shock, it became very difficult for some of those managers to get out of those positions. Then you had some pretty deep drawdowns. You know, when you look at that list, though, there are actually
0: very few. You know, not many of those organ- those those funds are still around, right? So, whilst you had these great returns for that period, two thousand to two thousand eight. Suddenly lots of you know, there was there's lots of losses. You had the the Amaranth story with with Brian Hunter and six billion dollars drawdown or loss there. Can you tease apart what probably was some of the challenges that these funds ultimately faced and and therefore, you know, what commodity hedge funds face? A lot of these
1: groups were very successful through that period. You come out of the GFC and then I think, you know, you had a lot of these groups struggle to generate the type of returns that they generated in the 2000s. And through that period, I think investors had a lot of different reasons why commodity hedge funds underperformed. You know, I think the the main reason or the main narrative that was expressed was that lack of informational edge, right? That information traveled much much faster. So having that network of the physical markets, having access to you know, some pieces of data that others didn't discontinued to exist. And I think there was absolutely that both the increasing
0: availability of information, but also that there is an argument, we'll come on to it, I think, um, that as, as these portfolio managers stepped away from their organizations, you know, their Enrons and so forth, rooted in the physical markets. Some of their knowledge and context dated a little. But there was also, looking at your notes, it wasn't just that informational edge. You know, that same time you had the growth of managed futures, other market participants coming in, changing the nature of commodity trading
1: as well. Correct. So I think, you know, by and large, the commodity hedge fund managers during the the 2000s were discretionary, fundamental commodity trading houses right? So these are, again, going back, these are guys that really had a firm understanding of supply and demand fundamentals. With the growth of assets in the managed future space, where, you know, those strategies, if you just think of, you know, trend following strategies, they don't care about supply and demand, right? They only look at price and, you know, maybe derivatives of price. And so I do think you had some of those markets trade in a manner and in a size that was completely foreign to uh, the discretionary commodity managers. I think from a from a risk framework, what that means is they were unable to hold on to positions. So you know, price would get so far away from fundamentals, they would have their own risk frameworks in place, and they wouldn't be able to hold on to positions that ultimately would settle on those fundamentals.
0: Uh, that was a, a common story we heard. I think that was especially prevalent in the last decade. So you kind of got you've got two sources of challenges to these, you know, there were certainly structural challenges in and around the time of the GFC that kind of stopped these outsized returns or, or slowed them. So you had, obviously, you had commodity prices starting to go down. There was the rise of these different market participants attracted to the space through advances in technology and high-frequency trading, but also just the the, the returns that these organisations were making, and also regulation. Right, we shouldn't remember that lots of um, there was a, a drive towards transparency in commodity trading as a result of the global financial crisis. They also face that entire other category of risk, which they're probably more exposed to than traditional asset classes like equities. Basically, any and every kind of event, whether that's political, weather, whatever it might be, can have an outsized effect a commodity hedge fund. Because it's worth noting, I mean, the numbers still stagger. Like Amaranth, you know, having almost half of the 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 fund's assets risked on one trade to do with gas price spreads between winter and summer, two thousand seven. I mean, I know that's a bit of an anomalous case, but it's kind of extraordinary how how risky commodities trading is because of its exposure to real world
1: events. Yeah, I don't know that risk in the commodity hedge fund space is really all that different from risk in, let's say, the equity space. You know, if you look at what transpired earlier this year with GameStop, some hedge funds were on the right side of that trade and some were on the wrong side of that trade. I would point out that in the commodity space, there is event risk, whether that be you know, the effect that weather is going to have, the gas or power markets, geopolitical events. So if you look at in 2020, the Russia, Russia, Saudi oil price war, if you look at drone strikes, like these events are going to move the futures markets and commodity hedge funds, you know, may be on the right or wrong side of that. Yeah, I think this is
0: probably a fair comment to say that there
1: are more global events on a daily basis,
0: you know, Than there are sort of Reddit events, you know, like... Sure, sure.
1: You know, and I would say a lot of these commodity managers, these markets are not as deep and liquid as the equity markets, right? And so there are fewer market participants. Generally speaking, market participants know who everyone is. And so if they catch wind that someone's on the wrong side of a trade, they're relentless. Yeah, yeah. So... Kind of ending the global financial crisis,
0: commodity prices have collapsed. Let's say it's 2013. Most of those names that you previously mentioned out of business, out of business, or or on the way to shutting shop. And it's quite stark, right? I don't know if
1: any of those are actually still active funds. It's funny. None of the funds that I mentioned are still active. Now they closed at different points in time. You know, I think they were largely successful, had their time in the sun, and um. I don't want to say couldn't adapt, maybe couldn't or, or weren't willing to adapt to a new market environment. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's understand a bit more about that market
0: environment in the 2010s and what some of the themes you were seeing, both from investor expectations, types of funds out there. And you know, frankly, as well, this was a very, you know, the, the number of funds shrunk dramatically.
1: Yeah. So I would say, I mean, there was just a lack of narrative an opportunity set post-GFC. Now, that's broadly speaking. I think in any market over a, a period of time, you may see certain opportunity sets, but, but broadly speaking, there was a real lack of interest from the institutional investor community in their allocations to the commodity hedge fund space during that period of time. I think if you look at, you know, in our database of commodity hedge funds, the number peaked in and around the end of 2017, early 2018. And that is, you know, probably just north of 120 funds. Now, this is of, of various sizes, but you know, you've seen now we're kind of at a, a low or just coming out of a low. You know, there's only roughly eighty plus hedge funds that are dedicated to trading commodities.
0: That's quite a stark journey. Just help us understand a little bit. So the financial crisis ends. Are these institutional investors moving away from having commodities in their portfolio because the returns are so poor, or they significant losses? Or is it more secular that
1: in general, commodities no longer have a role in portfolio theory? Uh, I, I don't think it's the latter. I just think the the performance of the space relative to other asset classes and other hedge fund strategies it was really an opportunity cost, right? And so if the space is underperforming, if there is a lack of a narrative, or if the narrative is negative, like I stated before, that you know, these discretionary fundamental managers who had an edge through their understanding of the physical and primarily through their network, if that edge eroded, what is the real rationale for an investment, right? These are, generally speaking, uncorrelated absolute return vehicles, and if there's limited return in the space, they're not going to deploy the resources to do the work to find out, okay, you know, we want to put money in the commodity space because we think there's going to be a good opportunity set there. Who should we allocate to, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the space needs a narrative for larger institutional investors to devote the time and the resources to do the investment due diligence and the operation due diligence on funds in the space.
0: Yeah. And part of the challenge of that period, and I don't know whether this continues now, but people who did have an informational edge, a particular mousetrap or whatever it was that they knew really well that they could convert into decent and consistent returns, typically those strategies weren't really scalable, right? So you kind of were stuck at the 10, 20 million under
1: management. They just couldn't get anywhere near that kind of vaunted billion dollars. Yeah, although I I would say, you know, some of the sector-specific managers They could certainly get north of that, but then it's, you know, do they have the operational infrastructure that would meet the requirements of an institutional investor? Yeah. So institutional investors weren't
0: really interested. Obviously, it was a period of low volatility, low prices. But what else was, I just want to really dig into what else was going on that really meant that commodity hedge funds weren't able to give those kind of returns outside of more broad secular price shifts. Was it what's going on with risk and warehousing risk and and what's going on with these long-only funds and other high-frequency trading and algorithmic trading that's limiting that opportunity?
1: I think if you look at the the growth in managed futures and algo trading over the um, post-financial crisis period, combined with banks leaving the the space, the whole environment drastically changed, right? So you know leading up to that, you had groups that were really focused on market fundamentals and those fundamentals driving price. When you have algo trading and CTAs, solely focused on price and derivatives of price, moving markets far outside of where supply and demand fundamentals would expect them to be. You have managers that are just forced based on their their own risk constraints or risk constraints imposed upon them by their investors to exit positions, right? So they can't hold on to their positions and then they have a hard time deploying capital into new positions, knowing that they may get stopped out. I, I think you used to have a number of funds with higher risk constraints; they were able to warehouse risk. You had banks that were able to warehouse risk, and when a lot of that liquidity evaporates from the market, the market reacts differently than it had. Call it from the you know, to the the period leading up to the financial crisis. That's interesting, because there's
0: two elements that I want to dig into. One is, typical of those hedge funds that had success in the 2000s, their leadership was, um, they were typically commodities experts themselves. And I assume that the money behind them was more willing to face some of those risks. How how much does that play into this, which is, if the traditional cross-asset class funds, commodities is quite a difficult asset to bring in because it just has such different
1: returns compared to what, I guess, the institutions that back them are looking to see. I think you're exactly right. So I think, you know, in that 2000 period, you know, the the investors in these funds were, you know, largely speaking, high net worth individuals, family offices, fund of funds who allocated to these strategies as a portfolio component, an uncorrelated portfolio component, and one that had the capacity to deliver real absolute returns. I think as you had larger institutions enter the space with, call it a different appetite for risk, hedge funds needed to change the way in which they delivered returns to uh, their end investor if they wanted to attract capital.
0: Interestingly, nothing's really changed there, right? Those are still prevalent and challenges today. Even potentially, arguably more so, as these markets become more, uh, as more algorithm, you know, CTAs come in. So the the narrative out there since the beginning of the year has been about this commodity super cycle. What is going on amongst the institutional investors that you talk to that you're directing towards various opportunities? Are you seeing interest from them? Can you
1: give us some idea of what types of vet- investors they are? Who's interested? so we are seeing a renewed interest in the commodity space i think across the board from high net worth individuals to family offices up to public and corporate pension plans some of that capital is slower to move so i would say you know q4 2020 into the first quarter of 2021 we saw allocations from primarily the family office space i would say the the, the asset management space as well as you know some corporate pension plans the public pension plans, their allocations are primarily driven by the consultants and the commodity hedge fund space is one that really isn't broadly covered by the investment consultants. So we've started to see at the end of last year and beginning of 2021 consultants coming back to the space, meeting with hedge funds, trying to get a sense of who's still out there, who's doing what, who's raising assets so that they can relay that information to their client base. So I think you will see you will see public plans allocating capital to this space. We are certainly talking to groups who are looking to allocate to this space and, you know, I think those allocations will come in size towards the end of 2020. I think those allocations will come in size towards the end of 2021.
0: What has changed in terms of the suite of types of funds these organizations can invest in now compared to that you know
1: 20 years ago look i think the funds now have a real understanding of what institutional investors we require of them right so i would say you know early in the 2000s those groups you know those hedge funds delivered returns and it was a, it was a very opaque industry paul Right. So, you know, outside of some of the the larger groups, like they didn't post their performance to databases. They didn't have huge marketing teams out there soliciting investment from institutions. It was more of a, you know, you probably had some of the bank cap intro teams covering them. But, you know, if if you wanted to invest with, you know, let's call a gas manager down in Houston, you would go down to Houston, you would make the rounds and decide, you know, who you want it to allocate to. It was it's it's always been a very opaque market and continues t- to this day. I think, you know, when when these managers are trading in, you know, a specific market or a specific set of markets that is is relatively thin, they don't want to put a lot of information out there on what they're doing, what their performance is, because that's just one additional piece of information that may fall into, into the hands of a competitor, and they don't want to tip their hand in any way. Yeah.
0: I just want to get back to something you mentioned. So you mentioned there was kind of this peak in 2017 and of, of numbers of funds, and now you're down to about 80. There's quite a cliff, though, as I understand from you, in terms of assets under management. I mean, you get very quickly
1: to very small funds. Correct. So if you look at our index, the bridge alternatives commodity hedge fund index which we launched in 2014 that index is comprised of the largest 15 managers ranked by assets under management that trade commodity futures right and so you know i think at the top of that list is a manager that manages just north of 2 billion in a diversified portfolio i think the 15th manager is 250 million right so there is a big gap between the top manager in that index and the 15th manager in that index. Now the index does not comprise, all, you know, there, there are certainly some managers, uh, that do trade commodities that aren't in the index, but I think overall it's a kind of who's who in the commodity space. So of that 80, I would probably say 25 to 30 plus percent have assets greater than a hundred million. You know, a lot of the managers have, uh, are trading. With assets less than 100 million.
0: There's lots going on in the commodities world at the moment, driven by, you know, we think about kind of the commodity supercycle story as one of potential inflation. You've got energy transition. You've kind of got the, uh, with all of the investment in renewables, batteries, it's a big story about metals. It's not so great a story about hydrocarbons. You've kind of got the pandemic pointing out kind of the fragility of supply chains, you know, the broader narrative about whether trading blocks will seek to sort of find alternative sources for crucial um, national interest raw materials. Are you seeing institutional investors say, look, I want uh, exposure to this market to hedge against this or to be part of this story? Is there, is there that kind of segmentation going on in the funds where they're, you know, we'll make you money, but we're also going to
1: provide you exposure to energy transition, exposure to uh, whatever it might be? For sure, I think you nailed it, Paul. So you know we're seeing interest across the board for all of the reasons that you mentioned earlier, right? So you know whether it's the the inflation narrative, you know you'll have groups looking to allocate to managers in a in an active long only fashion, maybe uh, as an inflation hedge. If it's you know the renewable story, if it's a supply chain issues, you know you will see investors who have. Dug on to one of those themes, and then are looking to express their view in a manager that will um, kind of focus on that theme. So, in renewables, maybe it's in the metal space, right? So, you know, not only do you have the the macro inflation story, but you have all of these kind of I don't call them micro fundamental stories, but maybe market specific narratives that are really driving performance and driving investor interest.
0: Yeah. And are you seeing kind of a more savvy marketing from, or is there the need for these, whether it's a startup fund or established funds, understanding that dynamic and being a bit more savvy than perhaps 20 years ago, where it was just simply, here's my returns and don't worry about it?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think the groups that have survived have never really put a real importance on business development. It is more, look, if we deliver performance the market or pr- market participants will find us investors will find us and we will raise assets that is a broad generalization i think it's accurate relative to other hedge fund strategies however we you know we are seeing different types of product in the space right so you are seeing some institu- institutional investors are interested in smart long only funds right so so relative to i think you know, leading up to the GFC, you know, you did have a lot of institutional capital invest in, let's call them, passive commodity indices, and those got, those were susceptible to contango in the forward curve. So, you know, I think in in this cycle, you may see some of those groups who want expo long only exposure to the commodities invest in either kind of smart long only or active long only funds. There is a Where the groups are paying attention to the forward futures curve. Some institutional investors feel like they get commodity exposure through their allocation to the CTA space, whereby some percentage of that portfolio is actively participating in medium to long-term trends in the commodity space. And then we're seeing groups allocate to whether it be diversified commodity hedge funds or sector specific commodity hedge funds, or even market specific commodity hedge funds where someone is just investing in a, in a hedge fund that trades North American natural gas. And then I would say, you know, finally, you know, you will see investors allocate to real assets, timber, water, some type of, some type of merchant shop where, you know, you're going to get exposure to, to natural gas pipelines or crude pipelines.
0: Yeah. I want to sort of interject and just say alongside investors getting reinterested and excited about the space from all walk different backgrounds also we're seeing and have actually seen for a few years but I think it's really starting to hit a tipping point of these um, broad multi-strat asset class well, I don't know what the terminology is um, hedge funds
1: also looking to get commodity portfolio managers in as well certainly and I think that is a as you point out, is a real driving force of allocations over the past, call it 12 to 18 months. I mean, I remember seeing Ken Griffin speak in an event in Chicago in the fall of 2018, and he was super excited about the opportunity set in the commodity space, right? So you have seen the likes of Citadel or Millennium or their peers bring on teams in-house where, you know, Maybe historically speaking, those were groups that may have set up their own fund and attracted outside capital. So I think you know, you are going to continue to see a dearth of talent in the commodity hedge fund space for a, for a period of time. Absolutely. I, we'll come on
0: to that. So I guess, can you give us some sense of scale? Where are we at right now in terms of, roughly speaking, assets under management in commodities in your index, and where do you think we might get to in the next couple of years?
1: our index represents over 10 billion dollars of institutional institutional assets in commodity hedge fund space so again that's the the top 15 commodity managers ranked by us not including those those big funds the multi multi strategy right. funds so that's it that's just 10 billion commodity only standalone hedge funds in our index right that is not the whole space i i couldn't even venture to say how much is in commodities but So let's just say the top 15 managers by assets under management command over $10 billion in assets. So where do you think we might get to? I think you could see multiples of that, right? And so what we don't have insight into is that doesn't include discretionary global macro or CTAs. That doesn't include some of the multi-strat hedge funds that you had mentioned earlier. That doesn't include a lot of the long-only or, um, active long only commodity funds that are out there. So I do think there is, certainly is more capacity in this space. I would warn institutional investors though, that, you know, a lot of the funds in our index are limited capacity funds, like I alluded to earlier. So, you know, these guys that, you know, have stated that they are going to close at some number call it $800 million, $900 million a billion, if one or two large instit- institutional investors come along and allocate, those funds are closed.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it is a, yeah, that's the whole point in some ways is that actually these are quite limited opportunities. I guess to wrap things up, or move, we alluded to those challenges in the 2000s, or sorry, 2010s, and at least a couple of those were structural. You certainly had that capacity challenge, but you also had the the issue of other market participants driving pricing away from the fundamentals, at least in the short term, and you have kind of the issues around warehousing risk and so forth. Will those issues go away in an, in the next commodity super cycle or
1: is the heyday of hedge funds over compared to what was going on in the 2000s? I really don't think so, Paul. I think those challenges were pers- will persist. But I do think that, you know, the hedge funds that I'd say the new launches that we've seen over the past two, three, four years, while they have been limited, most of them find that market behavior to be constructive, right? So I, I do think there is, I don't want to call it a new style of trading, but maybe kind of a new guard that is very aware of the impact that CTAs or other market participants have on price and have figured out ways in which to either to take advantage of that or mitigate that risk.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think the challenge actually comes down. if I had to think about the capacity constraints, you've alluded to it, it's actually about the talent because right. that's the thing has followed the the same curve as the hedge funds, except you know whereas it takes a couple of days to set a hedge fund up, you know being facetious. It takes five, 10 years to create a fantastic commodities trader who has that blend of physical, financial, risk management capabilities, who could actually, he or she, return the kind of uh, returns that these institutional investors expect.
1: Correct. So I think two things I would point out there is what we alluded to earlier. You are seeing some of the multi strats hoover that talent up. I would say, you know, another point that I would make that that we're really excited about is we are seeing talented portfolio managers look to launch their own hedge funds, um, whether that be you know traditional kind of hedge fund structure or taking capital in via separately managed account, whereby you know it's limited capacity, right? So you know they can generate a, a reasonably high sharp ratio, call it north of one, sometimes north of two or three but only trading one, $300 million in capital, right? I would say unlike kind of the traditional hedge fund structures or hedge fund businesses, these are two, three, four man shops where the IP resides with the traders, the researchers, right? It's just a team that is solely focused on research and trading. Maybe they have one ops person and they outsource business development or they outsource middle and back office. And usually speaking, they're going to set up fees that align their interests with the investor's interest. Yeah, yeah. And those may and those may not be the best opportunities for the public plans. Those are probably more opportunities for whether it be multi-strats so that will allocate externally, high net worth family office, fund to fund crowd. Which we've also actually seen. So we're
0: definitely seeing that as well. And you, you, you and I have collaborated on that. You're definitely seeing. You know, if you go back to the two thousands, that was the kind of money that was probably more suitable, at least at the time, to those types of organizations. Right? They were they were more willing to warehouse to manage or to accept that volatility for the outsized returns they knew they could get.
1: Yep. And so, yeah, you know, those are the the same investors now that I think are earliest to allocate to the commodity space and yeah. and quick as well. You know, we are seeing groups who. They want to deploy risk in the commodity space. They want to know who all the managers are and who the best of breed are across sector and are, and are moving very quickly. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's still the challenge though. That's still a relatively small talent pool. That's also, it's fair to say, a talent pool that if you look at the narrative of, of a hedge fund over the last decade, which is in many cases, their horizon, it wasn't a great story. Their colleagues that did get plucked by a small fund five years ago, might have had a pretty rough ride of it. Whereas they, they staying at their physical shop or organization have earned consistently more and had less career risk as a result, right? So I think there's also a, you know, you've got kind of a an activation level energy to overcome for people to start believing that story is a viable career path. Just given the experiences of the last 10 years, and a part of, it, hopefully, what this podcast does as well is remind people that, you know, if you, if you expand your horizon to 20 years, it's quite
1: a different story. Sure. So I do think, you know, if you look at our index, fantastic performance in 2020. We're off to a great start in 2021. So I think, you know, we're starting to see capital follow suit. And then if the, if the narrative continues where you do see continued hedge fund closures, you know, not because of poor performance, because, but because they're closing at levels that they – had initially communicated to their investor base that they were going to close at for capacity reasons. You know, my hunch is you will see more groups or teams leaving trade houses and trying to take a crack at launching their own business. Yeah, absolutely. And now they know who to call. Well, thanks very much for for joining us, Ryan. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offering as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.